we all have our own issues we have to deal with. In fact, frankly, many of us are in our own prisons, the prisons of our mind. Right. Right. So the tragedies, the things that we have to deal with, the, the pressures, the anxieties, everything else that we have to deal with, we have a choice to make. Right. And you talked about transformation. And that's the choice that, that I wanted. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 36, and my guest today is Kevin McCarthy. And our discussion is on the topic of blind spots. Now, blind spots are hidden biases, assumptions, and thinking errors. They cloud perception, drive destructive behaviors, and impair decision-making. Kevin works globally with industry leaders to reveal blind spots to unleash the potential in organizations and teams. Kevin is the author of the best-selling book, Blind Spots, Why Good People Make Bad Choices. Also, Kevin holds the highest certification recognized globally by the speaking industry, the Certified Speaking Professional. Kevin is an award-winning sales professional. He built one of the largest Century 21 offices in America, then developed and sold a dot-com startup. Now, in 2004, Kevin's boss was arrested for the largest stock fraud in Washington state history. As a result, Kevin spent 33 months in a federal prison for a crime he didn't knowingly commit. There he studied cognitive psychology and recognized, then deeply researched the blind spots that led to his predicament. Today, Kevin exposes the invisible barriers that impact culture, organizations, training, service, and leadership. He has a fascinating story, and I hope you listen to this entire episode. Before we get to the interview, Change Your Mindset is part of the C-Suite Radio family of podcasts. It's an honor and a privilege to be amongst some of the more popular business podcasts, such as The Hero Factor with Jeffrey Hazlett, Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken, and Keep Leading with Eddie Turner. You can find Change Your Mindset and many other outstanding business podcasts on C-Suite Radio by going to www.c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. In addition, you can now listen to this podcast on iHeartRadio. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a high-content and engaging speaker for your next conference? Do you want to deliver a story to stakeholders that will transform data dumping to engaging business conversations? Do you want to feel that the value a speaker provides your audience far exceeds the dollar value on their invoice? 
Then book Peter for your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Contact Peter at peter at petermargaritas.com and visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com. By the way, one of his Fortune 50 clients actually made the comment about the value he brings to your audience. Now let's get to the interview with Kevin McCarthy. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm actually interviewing a friend, a fellow certified speaking professional, Mr. Kevin McCarthy, and we're both here in Denver, Colorado, attending the NSA Influence Annual Convention. And I was able to grab Kevin, and because he's a very busy man, we're all very busy right now, to get him to sit down with me and, and talk about. I'm just, we'll let you know what we're going to talk about, but it is well worth a listen. First and foremost, Kevin, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with me talking about your book, Blind Spots, and we'll get into some depth with that. So I just give me a little teaser there. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on uh, the program. Super excited about it. So, Kevin, can you give the audience just a little bit about your background? Absolutely. <laughs> so, in all fairness, let, let me start with the punchline. Okay. Yeah. I, I love punchlines. <laughs> so so as, uh, as you know, and as anybody who uh, picks up a copy of the book will know right from the front cover, I spent 33 months in a federal prison for a crime I didn't knowingly commit. And that's the key part of this conversation, knowingly that's commit. Right. That's right. And I'll fill you in on the story. Uh, but I basically discovered that I had blind spots. And so I became passionate about discovering why I found myself involved with, the, with this boss and how I could possibly have believed him to be a good man doing good things when, in fact, it turned out to be the opposite. So there's the punchline. <laughs> Let me get a little backdrop to that. How about that? That's great. All right. All right. Uh, and if you're driving, pull over. <laughs> yeah. Please. Okay. Maybe not. But yeah. So the backdrop is uh, I've been an entrepreneur for a number of years. I've been self-employed the vast majority of my career. And I was fortunate and blessed in the 90s to own the 13th largest Century 21 real estate franchise. And I gave a presentation to 31 independent franchise owners in the Phoenix metropolitan area at one point, which uh, I didn't realize the uh, vice president of that uh, area was in the audience. And so he came up afterwards and asked if I would give a keynote speech to five different sales rallies throughout the Southwest region of Century 21. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Uh, and he offered to pay me for it. I thought, well, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they way overpaid me. <laughs> but while I was uh, giving those keynotes, then it turned into a 14-state contract, which then turned into a national speaking opportunity. So I sold my real estate company. Well, mm -hmm. while I was traveling on the, you know, largely in hotel rooms uh, all over the country, I realized the realtors needed help. This is 1994. Okay. So I realized oh, okay. the realtors needed help figuring out this new technology available to them called the internet. Ooh, yeah. the World Wide Web? That's the one, the <laughs> WWW. And so I don't know programming myself, but I understand leading people. So I, did, I hired a number of programmers, developed a plan, and, uh, and then executed. And we developed the first-of-its-kind system to get the realtors a web page and then automatically filter their uh, listings cool. uh, out of the MLS system. Cool. And this was uh, six months before the the big dog showed up, which was Realtor.com. Okay. Obviously, we were all on the same parallel 
path trying to get to market. Well, I, right. I beat them to market. Um, and that's another whole story. <laughs> but uh, they tried to buy me out. That's why I said it's another whole story. And I said, no. And that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what they meant when they said, uh, when Realtor.com said, well, we're going public and we want to give you a lot of options. Um, so, yeah, in hindsight, well, anyway. Yeah, we all make those. <laughs> I know, right? Boy, the, uh, we all have the the, uh, the the benefit of 2020 hindsight. Well, that, that was a blind spot. Clearly. That was clearly a blind spot, <laughs> which is interesting to say those two words in the same sentence. Exactly. Clearly a blind spot. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, flash forward, I, I did not sell my company to uh, Realtor.com. And then Homeseekers.com, which was the number two on the market, they offered to buy my company. Mm-hmm. And I said, Yes. <laughs> and how much? And, and it was awesome. And so I sold the company for a substantial sum during the craziness of the dot-com. Uh, but then what happened is I, uh, going along almost a year into working with them as a president of one of their divisions as a publicly held company, um, they lost all their funding when the dot-com bubble burst. And so they started closing down to, you know yeah. divisions, laying off personnel. My division was the newest. And they closed it down. I had to fire 54 people. That wasn't fun. Right. And so here I am. Now we bring this up to the punchline. Okay. Here I am, having been at what I felt was the top of my game. And now I'm pretty much broke because I took all that stock that I had and I learned how to leverage it in mm. what's called the margin. Yes. Then I couldn't. I couldn't pay it back when the dot-com bubble burst. That margin call is really the call you don't want to pick up. That margin call was just not fun. So, yeah. I, I, so you know, I learn about finances the hard way, right? Which is, which is always fun because when I speak to these financial audi- you know, audiences, everybody in the room is smarter than me, and I love it. Yeah. I, I, the expectation level for me is so much, so much lower than. Uh, so yeah, I learned the hard way about the margin, and so now I find myself. Enjoying a summer to whatever degree you can when you're trying to figure out the next thing. Right. Right. And I'm in the Northwest, so it is a beautiful time of the year. Exactly. And then a buddy of mine from church tells me about a stock opportunity he has. And mm, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. I can see by the look on your face, Peter, you, you know where that's going. Yeah. <laughs> and so do your listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, so he happened to know the treasure of this company that was getting ready to go public and so on. And the story was awesome. And mm-hmm. it was the perfect timing. And I had just enough money to, uh, to invest. So I invested in this company. And uh, now, of course, I have to justify and rationalize the, how intelligent that investment really was. Right. So I'm I'm pumping myself up over the next few months, excited that the IPO is going to happen. <clears throat> and then I get a phone call from the same guy that introduced me to the stock who said that the CEO of the company had heard about my business development background. So through the grapevine, you know, my buddy to the treasurer, right. to the CEO, then he, all he needs is a consultant for one project for 30 days. And that was in my wheelhouse of uh, setting up and developing a division or, mm-hmm. you know, a group. And so I took the project as a consultant before the public offering. (laughs) And by the way, side note, when I shared this opportunity with my wife, she had this gut feeling that I should say no, but I said yes. 
And she will never let me live this down. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's a whole lesson in that right there. That's right. So, all right. Uh, in any case, by, by the way, we will celebrate our 33rd anniversary coming up here in August. So, oh, congratulations. Sue, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how she did it, but she's, she's put up with me all this time. <laughs> she doesn't want to train another one. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> So here, so here I am now, a consultant with this company in which I'm an investor, and I'm super pumped. Yeah. And and then the IPO date gets pushed off for one reason or another, yeah. and then you know we keep moving along, and it gets pushed off again and again and again. And so ultimately, I ended up working for this guy as a consultant for 15 months instead of 30 days. Wow. And it wasn't until the FBI came knocking at our door. At home. At home. With search warrants. Oh, my God. That I really understood something was dreadfully <laughs> wrong. Yeah. All that time with working with him, with the company, 34 employees, I never once saw prison coming. Wow. So they execute the search warrants. I mean, obviously, you're asking what the heck is going on here. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. And, and what, did the, what did the FBI say? Could they even give you any hint of anything? They, of course, can't talk about anything. They uh, they ask all the questions. They don't right. answer questions. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they came in. They were looking for anything they could get their hands on. Um, they explained that they had the warrant for anything related to the company. Okay. So they were looking for paperwork, you know, any kind of information. Yeah. And so they uh, they took all that they wanted, including some things that I didn't think they had entitlement to, but they, you know, stuff got swept up into the into the uh, occasion. Uh, and then I went down to uh, an attorney's office in uh, in the Seattle area to figure out what just happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I drive down to Seattle. I'm talking to this attorney. I provide a uh, retainer, and he does some due diligence, calls me back uh, a number of days later, and I go down to the office and basically said, yeah, I've got some not-so-good news for you. He said, you are, in fact, a target of the investigation. Like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm freaking out, right? Yeah. You're feeling it, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm like, what, what do you mean target? He goes, well, you're not being indicted. You're, they're not going to come and arrest you right now or anything like that. He said, but they are actually looking into your involvement in your boss's crime. He said, so that's not the worst news. He said, the worst news is I can't defend you in this case. Like, why? He said, well... Based on what I've learned about the gravity and the magnitude of this case, he said it could cost you one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars for your defense. He I'm, said, I'm "So gonna, I'm going to pit my stomach right now." Yeah, he's and I didn't have it. You know, yeah. I had just in, squandered it away during the dot com craziness mm -hmm. and couldn't pay back Merrill Lynch, right? right. So, uh, so and he knew that. So he basically said, "Well, I've got good news." He goes, "I'll." I'll get you assigned early to the public defender's office. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that's good news. Yeah. Um, it turns out, actually, it really was good oh, news. Yeah. yeah, my attorney was phenomenal. She was the number two in the federal public defender's office. Um, but this is where it begins to unfold in in the book and in, in, you know, now what I do professionally with uh, with helping leaders make better decisions by exposing their blind spots. Because I first understood this whole concept of blind spots with my public defender. And so yeah. we were arguing 
and bickering. And I was sobbing like a baby every time I'd leave her office because she was just beating up on me emotionally. And I found out later that that's just part of the process. She had to know who she's dealing with, test my resolve and, you know, know what, find out the truth and all that. Right. But it was not a, not a fun time. Okay. And so I go into her office on this occasion, expecting the same horror. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking in with fear and trepidation and we didn't even get to sit down and she turns to me and she asks if I was going to sign the plea bargain. Like, (laughs) no, why would I sign the plea bargain? I didn't know my boss was committing a crime. Right. Right. And I am, I want to go to court. I'm just putting my trust in the jury of my peers that they're going to see, sift through the truth. And they're going to realize that I just did what I did. I, you know, worked according to the boss's instructions, Mm -hmm. and I had no idea that he was just taking people's money, right? Yeah, that didn't work out so well. She she explained it this way. She basically said, listen, it doesn't matter what you knew or what you didn't know. She said, because they're not going to charge you with fraud, they're charging you, or they will charge you with conspiracy to commit fraud. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right? So, hey, so follow me in this. Yeah. At the federal level, at least, I can't tell, you know, don't know what the states do, but at the federal level, only one person in a conspiracy needs to know a crime is being committed. I know, right? Yeah, that doesn't, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, question mark. And, and it's just, I think it's just, and this is my layman understanding of all this and how it works, but I think it's the uh, the RICO Act and, you know, the way that the government has this wide net to capture a lot of organized crime yeah. and so forth. And then it makes sense you know, mm-hmm. from that standpoint. But as my attorneys put it, it's a very wide net. So where I, I let the audience know, or even uh, the readers in my book, when, uh, when I was involved with my boss and I was working with him doing, following instructions, I knew what I was doing. I just didn't know the intent or the motive behind what he was doing. So I did what I did, and that's what makes me guilty of conspiracy to help him further the crime, ultimately. Yet, he's the one that was the ringleader, if you will. I've heard your story before, and, and I'm still at this point of just complete confusion and speechless because... So he hands you an envelope. So I want you to mail this envelope. You have no idea what the contents of is in that envelope, and you put it in the mail. That's conspiracy. That that could be roped into the concept of conspiracy. Now, if it was as simple as one act of putting an envelope in the mail, right? right, The prosecutors aren't going to mess with you. But it wasn't that simple. I was there for 15 months. I right. did a lot of things. And in hindsight, I'm looking back on, I did some stupid things. But in the context of the moment, that's the key here, yeah. right? It's context. Yeah. And even, even today, when we make decisions or when we have to uh, arbitrate conflict at the workplace or whatever, we always mm-hmm. have to remember there's some really important steps in that process. And one of them is, what is the context I'm missing? Right. Right. So context is king. Okay. Right. And so in the context and the framework of our thinking and what was going on in the, uh, in the business and the marketplace at that time, all the red flags made total sense. Even the ones that at first didn't, we rationalized and justified them mm-hmm. because we wanted them to be true. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm getting too deep in the content here. Let me back to no, story. No, but. no, no, keep, keep going. This is good. This is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately this is, this is where I explain. It's like, 
I didn't know my boss was committing a crime, but I was guilty. And I, and I saw that the minute she explained it this way, Carol said to me, she said, Kevin, you are seeing this through a moral perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it through a legal perspective. And by this point, she was able to confidently say, I, morally, I believe you. I, I, in fact, I know I can convince the jury that you had no knowledge of your boss's intent to commit fraud. You know, fraud. She said, but that won't matter because you did what you did. And as an example, the one, similar to the one you just gave, Peter, is she said, because you put those envelopes in the mail mm -hmm. at your boss's request, those letters to the investors, she said, you became an unwitting accomplice in his mail fraud. Unwitting accomplice. Right? Yeah. Unwitting accomplice in the mail fraud. And so it had been just, again, one little act like that, right. not a big deal, but it was a compilation of acts like that okay. that all came together. And then there was a couple smoking guns, which I think I'll save some of the cliffhangers for the book. Okay. <laughs> well done. There were, well, yeah, there were a couple smoking guns. I mean, it's, again, in hindsight, uh, I found myself caught in a moral dilemma at one point, and, uh, and that's all explained in the book. Um, but ultimately, the, the lessons that came out of this are, are just absolutely critical because I realized how... First of all, how unaware I was. Mm -hmm. I used to think, if you would have asked me back then, you know, how self-aware do you feel like you are? I would have said probably the same thing you or any mm -hmm. most of us would say. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm good. Yeah. Right? Because right. that's how we think of ourselves. Right. We always think of ourselves as better than we are. And even as much reading as we might do or sadly, you know, not do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we all have room for improvement. But, you know, what I realized in hindsight is that there is so so often we are less self-aware than, than we think we are. And that creates all by itself another whole set of issues with blind spots. So I didn't realize how unaware I really was. Okay. So you signed a plea deal. Yeah. Reluctantly. But you said at that point when she explained it to you, you were, now you saw that you, uh, you said, I saw that I was guilty. Yeah. Yeah, so the minute she really explained that, my eyes were opened, and I really understood through a different perspective mm -hmm. that, in fact, I was guilty. And so because I was guilty, I, I knew going to trial was, was futile, and, uh, and I wanted to own up mm -hmm. and you know, sort of pay whatever price was necessary for right. my, my stupidity, really. Right. And unfortunately, the government was offering... For the first person that would take a plea, their best offer was 10 years. Holy shit. Yeah. But you said 33 months. So. Right, yeah. Okay. So the, that's, the, that's the silver lining. Yeah. But yeah, so I actually signed a 10-year plea. Oh yeah, reluctantly, but willingly. And at that point, my daughter was nine, and my son was 11. Wow. And I was the breadwinner. And so all these crazy thoughts just racing through my head as I'm driving home from from uh, Seattle you know back to my house and all I could think of was wow 10 years my kids are going to be fully grown out of the house probably you know who knows what kind of relationship I'll have if any right. certainly Rachel would be off in another relationship <laughs> I mean I couldn't blame her and I would encourage it that's too long to be mm -hmm. single and wait for your man to come home right and so it just felt like life was over for me so it was really yeah, the, the, the first and, and frankly, the only time I ever considered suicide. Yeah. Um, and that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty devastating. 
Now, just to lighten the moment and explain the silliness of my thinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Much like our, my financial prowess, uh, I, uh, the thought that raced through my head for that moment about you know, ending my life yeah. was to simply grab my orange extension cord, cut off the end, plug it into the wall, and jump into my hot tub. <laughs> it's the silliest thing. I mean, it's almost embarrassing to say. It's like I never even dawned on me that there's circuit breakers and they would just pop. <laughs> It'd be an ouch for a minute, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. That was the extent of it. Never had a problem since. You know, it's just wow. But it, you know, you get it's yeah. that devastating moment of wow, life as I knew it is over. Right. You know, today it's better. By the right, way, right, right, right. I mean, right. that whole experience has, has been amazing on a positive level for my family. Wow. But I can see how, and as you're describing this, I'm sitting there thinking if, if I was in your shoes, I'd have the same thoughts. Mm -hmm. I I think any, almost any human being would probably go down that path. Not might not execute. That's probably not the right word, but but commit suicide. But I think that thought does come into our head. And, And it's something that, it would be at first absolutely scary. I mean, just almost blinding scary. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, you didn't come up with another idea. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> thankfully, I, that was the end of that thought process. But, you know, let's, I know this wasn't, isn't really a purpose today, but since we brought it up, right? right. Since I brought it up, yeah. let's just address that because there might be one of your listeners that, you know, have had those thoughts right. or deal with those thoughts or maybe. One of you are in that position where you have already crossed over a line, maybe unwittingly, mm-hmm. and now you're dealing with the same kind of thoughts I was dealing with. It's right. like, oh no, now what? Yeah. Right? What's life like on the other side of this? In fact, I, I get asked uh, by our colleagues who you know meet people who are facing these situations mm-hmm. or are already, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman, for example, who uh, one of our colleagues um, introduced me to, and he is already being, he's already sentenced and he's waiting for his time to show up. So he he would like to talk to me about right. what to expect. Right. right? So, right. so that happens. So all I can say is if you're dealing with any of that, just hang in there. Sure. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't despair because there is still life after you go through it, after the, uh, the, the smoke clears mm-hmm. from the, the nightmare, if you will. Right. So you show up, you're you're in your mind thinking I'm here for ten. How did you get it down to thirty three? Yeah, so there's a couple steps in between. So I agreed to sign the plea bargain, mm-hmm. and I, and then I did, and then I was out of my own recognizance for another two years. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's it the case against the boss was still being made, even though I believe, from what I understand, that it was already in under, he was under investigation almost two years before he hired me. Oh, wow. And I also heard that he had already been um, in front of a grand jury during that two years and testified, you know, answered their questions and so forth. So there was a pretty big case going on, at least uh, what it seems like. And so I was out in two years, and then uh, the the goal was, or the, or the idea was, that I was going to be a, one of the government witnesses uh, that they would call to the stand during the boss's trial. Well, that kept getting postponed. The mm-hmm. trial date kept getting postponed, so I would continue to be out um, for two those two years, which was in and of itself its own level of prison because right. not knowing the certainty of when that date would come 
and trying to find work and everything else associated with right. that period of time of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole lot of blind spots in that uncertainty yeah. right, that just really create stress and, and cause anxiety and depression and just everything else that goes with it. Right. Um, but I worked really hard trying to at least leave my family with a little bit of something you know, whenever that day came. Mm-hmm. And then the day came. And then uh, I had to go to sentencing, which is a hearing at the courthouse. And that's where the unknown became known, which is we went in there not knowing what the uh, outcome was going to be, but we did at least know that my attorney and the prosecutor negotiated a 48-month sentence. Oh, okay. And it was because of my cooperation. Uh, in fact, my boss or my lawyer even said that uh, the government felt like I was the most cooperative witness they'd ever worked with in the Seattle office. And uh, and the judge actually departed 60% off the original you know, plea, mm-hmm. which apparently that was a unique situation as well. Never had really departed that far down. Wow. Um, so I really mm-hmm. see it as a gift. I mean, mm-hmm. the 48 months seems crazy but uh, to be a gift, but it was a gift. Yeah. yeah. Um, then while I was in prison, so now to your question, mm-hmm. I show up and here I am. I- I'm in this federal prison. And that in and of itself is just horrifying the concept it's not fortunately it's not like alcatraz Mm -hmm. or the movie alcatraz or you know shawshank redemption it's because i was in a minimal security federal prison okay um so i was in there with mostly you know white collar criminals Mm -hmm. that were first-time offense non-violent type you know crimes we have about 40 percent of the 504 men that were there okay Um, so i was in there with gosh um financial people mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully none of your listeners hopefully will, will ever be there but right. i was in there with financial people legal uh, folks i was yeah. in there with uh, uh, wealthy folks who had successful businesses but crossed the line themselves um you know, nfl football player uh, oh. who had two super bowl rings who, who just for his own character's sake i i, I won't mention right right and, and oh i was in there with an 18 year old kid who hacked his way into nasa <laughs> Right? I'm, I just, I'm, that's, wow. Yeah, wow. Smart yeah. and stupid cohabitate. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> Hacked into NASA. The kid was brilliant. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't have done NASA, but he right. was brilliant. Now I hope the FBI or CIA get a hold of him, right? Right, right. <laughs> and put him put in him good on, use. Put him on our side. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was crazy. The other 60% of the men were simply commodities dealers. Okay. Well, come on now, Peter. That's what they called themselves. They're <laughs> drug dealers. Let's make that yeah. clear. I was, I was thinking if they were in the import-export business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was all, home, all, all homegrown. Yeah. <laughs> As we sit here Homegrown in businesses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, now in Denver, here yeah. we are where it's legal. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so there I was. And in the federal system, they automatically credit you 15% off of your sentence for good behavior. Mm. And so that's what you can sort of look forward to. But if you mess up, then they start pulling it back and uh, taking that away. Okay. So they dangle the carrot out to keep everybody on good behavior. Mm. And for the most part, most most people are, you know, staying along those lines on good behavior. Okay. And then I had an opportunity while I was in there to participate in a cognitive behavioral psychology course that was 500 hours of in inpatient that's not the right word i'm looking for but basically because we couldn't go anywhere it was right. in house right uh, yeah and so literally we met five days a week a couple hours a day for a nine-month period and it was a deep dive into cognitive behavioral psychology uh, designed for drug addictions mm. you know alcohol addictions that kind of thing but it, it was a eye-opener for me and that's yeah. where that's where the the research and asking those really hard questions like what was i thinking and 
how could I have not known right. that he was a scoundrel? You know, how could I have missed the red flags or, or worse, justified the ones I saw? Okay. And, uh, and so that's began my journey. Okay. And that's where the research began, uh, in the library and having my family and friends send in books and, you know, just collecting quotes and understanding all the different areas of, of how we, we think and mm-hmm. what makes us tick. And, and so that was the research that went into uh, writing, finally writing the book in 2017, uh, which, which got published and, uh, and then, uh, literally fueled the, a whole new passion. And uh, so what I do today as a professional speaker and, and author is not a job or a career. It's a passion. Yeah. That was birthed as a result of how did I get here? What was I thinking? And how do I not find myself in this kind of a position again? Right. And it's funny. I, funny is not really the right word, but it's, it's interesting that we're having this conversation at this convention, and it's all about transformation. Mm. And then I, I, I sit there, and I wish I could remember half the main stage presenters. But all of them had some type of major adversity. One gentleman, Eric. F. Yeah, Wine and Wine and Meyer yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I'm blind. Probably butchering it. But. Yeah, blind. So that was, but he has scaled El Capitan, uh, 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 Mount Everest. He's kayaked the Colorado River. Uh, blind, 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 and and he showed some video. Uh, of him and, and, and probably the, at some of the worst rapids on the Colorado River. And the first time it beat him up, but he went back at it again. Mm-hmm. So dealing with that adversity and finding the, the passion and the positive side of it, a lot of that was talked over the last two days. And basically, that's you as well, mm. that you had this limitation. Mm-hmm. And you were limited there at least for 33 months. And this blind spot, and you could have come out of this and I'm, I'm done. But no, you just, you found that and, and you turned it into something positive. And, and you've walked into a lot of doors. Because the one thing is, anytime we're doing the transformation, we're going we're gonna to skin our feet. We're going to skin our knees. We're going to walk into doors. We're going to have bloody noses. You've had all of that. Some of it probably physically, but some kind of metaphorically. But you came out the other end, as you said, with this passion that, you could probably honestly say that if that never happened to you, this would have never happened. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, that's this. That's wild. I know it's, it is crazy. And to your point, we all, you know, my story is just my story, and it's it's a representative of all of our stories because right. we all have a story, right. right? Right. We all have the we all have our own issues we have to deal with. In fact, frankly, many of us are in our own prisons, the prisons of our mind. Right. Right. So the tragedies, the things that we have to deal with, the the pressures, the anxieties, everything else that we have to deal with, we have a choice to make. Right. And you talked about transformation. And that's the choice that that I wanted to make. It's right. like I wanted to use this, this lesson as an opportunity to forge greater character, to be a better person, to come out the other side of this and not be bitter. Right. But literally, you know, just learn how to be better and then help others do the same. Make those same better choices, right? And it's and it's that message that resonates with your audience because I can imagine that, that I remember the first time I heard your story. I'm going, could this be happening to me right now? That I just really don't know. Mm. And, and I th- that that audience has got to be sitting there going, especially because I know I know you 
talked to a lot of financial professionals, CPAs and, and, and alike. Uh, a lot of my audience is that. And, and, and unbeknownst to them, they might be committing something. But I think the bigger message is getting through it and what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you said the word bitter. And you could have taken that bitter side, but you saw something greater there. Um, and, and I applaud you for that because I, I they were talking about the limitations that we have and our mind, what it limits us, mm-hmm. our own personal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And to maintain a positive mental attitude during a very tough time is exhausting. But you saw that it's time, I'm out. Now what do I do? And that passion is giving back. Mm-hmm. So others don't fall into the same trap yeah. that you did. Yeah. And, and, you know, to carry on that thought that you, you share there, it's not about just a, to use the old eighties term PMA, positive mental attitude. Yeah. It's, it's not about, it's not about just pumping yourself up to sort of overcome the trials that you're going through. It's really facing what you're going through head on, yeah. but it's making moment by moment decisions to, push through it to deal with it and not let it become uh not let it define you right you know not become bitter about it because we're uh, everybody has tragedy every have everybody has trials everybody has pressures mm-hmm. uh, but we can make those momentary decisions and oftentimes we're just one decision away from going positive or going down okay. the wrong path right almost every audience i speak to and i speak to audiences all over the country and even outside the country, there's almost always somebody, Peter, who comes up to me at the end after everything quiets down and I'm packing up my stuff and they waited patiently from the moment when nobody else was around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I always expect it. So I'm always kind of methodically just hanging out and packing stuff up after I'm done talking to the group. And they'll come up and they'll share their story and they are what you just said. They're that person who yeah. has just found themselves in a predicament where they could have said to themselves, I never saw that coming, mm-hmm. right? Because they didn't know what they didn't know. And so they're they're facing the issue right this minute. Um, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. You know, how, now what do I do? Uh, or the other side of that is that there's always somebody in the audience, oftentimes more than one, who knows somebody yeah. who just found themselves having crossed the line, sometimes intentionally. But sometimes not, and it's such a it's such a crazy landscape legally, right? There's so many laws, so many loopholes, mm-hmm. so many ways. If the government really wants to, they can come down on most of us yeah. at some point, right? Not that they would. Not that a lot mm-hmm. of what you know the little infractions are right. worth their pursuits, right? But there's so many of those, and sometimes we just get caught up in the day-to-day minutia. We get caught up in the you know the fast pace. I, I call it the speed of life. Right. That uh, that often we're just not paying attention. So it's like we knew what we should have known, but we weren't paying attention in those cases. There's other blind spot areas. There's there's hundreds of blind spots. Mm, right. uh, three categories really. There's those uh, I just mentioned where yeah. We should have known, but we just weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, with the, the the benefit of hindsight, we go, "Oh, what was I thinking? Yeah, right, you know, right, how yeah. could I have said that or done that or whatever?" Yeah, right. You know, and but then there's those blind spots that are literally the psychology you know, that most of us just don't realize the implicit associations, the the stereotypes mm-hmm. or the biases that are hidden 
you know, that, that kind of lurk in the background and influence and impact our decisions and, and our behaviors. And we're just not really aware that right. they're doing it yeah. because again, uh, largely because, you know, we could all use some help with growing in our emotional intelligence and our right. self-awareness. Right. 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 You know, and then there's the, uh, the third group, which is really the presuppositions. We believe we know already, mm-hmm. but because of the framework of our thinking and our worldview and, and mm-hmm. all these other biases that come in and impact that we think we know, but in fact, what we think we know isn't always so. Right. So these all these blind spots are they're they're waiting to impact and influence how we behave and decide what we decide. So as you're describing, like 33 months coming out after that, all that, and, and maintaining fighting through, an improv term came to me, and I think to get through anything similar that you experienced, you had to be present. You had to be present at, because you, it, like baby steps, we get to handle things today. Can't worry about yesterday. That's past. It, we all tend to go, you know, think further out, but then we become blinded again. And you were, maybe I'm benounced to you, or maybe it wasn't, that, but you were, you maintained your presence being in the moment, not getting too far in front of yourself and not relying too much in the back. And that presence that you demonstrated helped you to maneuver your way through this nightmare. Mm-hmm. Because if, I don't know, I, I come from a, a, a family that tends to think way too much in advance. We forget about worrying about today. And it's, 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 it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But when we do that, we can manage anything. We can, get, we can literally get through anything mm-hmm. on a positive track. Versus going down that dark alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being present is really a key component to uh, to being aware. Yeah, you know, just to to maintain awareness. Now, being present in whatever the situation is, you need to kick into a rational thinking mode. Right. right. So we need yeah. to get out of the automatic. Mm-hmm. what Daniel Kahneman calls the system one, mm-hmm. and to get out of that automatic mode, this rhythm that we get into, even at work, the rhythm or the, 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 the home life rhythm that we get into. Yes. And literally kick in what you calling presence. We need to kick into the rational part of our, our thinking. We need mm-hmm. to really analyze our surroundings, be aware of our environment, understand our biases, mm-hmm. understand that, you know, we have, everybody has biases. Right. You know, so what? How are my biases now playing into this decision? Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the, the the tools that I like to teach is uh, is fairly simple. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, <laughs> but the simplicity of it is it's I call it uh, STP cap. Right? STP cap, like the, the like the like the you know yeah. engine performance. Yeah, additive, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But STP is simply stop, think, and process. Stop, think, and so, process. So, okay. and the reason that's important is because oftentimes we'll make decisions based on a knee-jerk reaction right. or a gut feel or yeah. an intuitive thought. Yeah, you know, so we get we forget because we just think we know what we know, right? Right. We think, especially we if you're one like I was, where I felt like I could process pretty quickly mm-hmm. and make what you know uh, Malcolm Gladwell will call snap judgments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah so uh, you know, but you have to step back when you feel that or start doing that or you start making snap judgments. You step back real quick. Stop temporarily. Mm-hmm. Think deeply. Mm-hmm. Engage, in other words, that right. rational system too. Right? right. Right. And then proceed cautiously. Right. 
Okay. And, and while you're thinking deeply, so here's CAP. That's STP. Here's CAP. Uh, I feel like I'm teaching suddenly, and I, I'm sure this wasn't the intent. But, no, 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 please, please, all right. please. So, so let me just finish this. So CAP is, and this, this, is, this is awesome for board meetings, for sales meetings, mm -hmm. for staff meetings, for dealing with conflict in the workplace. Mm -hmm. CAP is CAP, right? right? Context, assumptions, perspectives. What context am I missing here? Okay. What assumptions am I making? Ah, we all make, make a lot, lot of assumptions. assumptions, right? And what perspectives are available? What perspectives are available? See, one of the blind spots is that we like to hang around with people that are like us, right? right? We right. like to hire people who like us, right? Now, HR directors cringe when I say that because they know, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, that's what we're trying not to do, Kevin. <laughs> but we, that we just so what other perspectives are available? Yeah. And if you think about just that one right there, I mean, that's that's huge, especially if you're trying to build an inclusive workplace because. We need to value one another's perspectives. We're all unique. We're all different, right. you know, and nobody's really like us. Right. You know, we try, but we, we, yeah. But if you can rein in and pull in other people's perspectives, then you'll make better decisions. You'll have less blind spots mm -hmm. because you're bringing in context and, you know, understanding assumptions and bringing in new perspectives. So that's that all by itself. It's probably worth the purchase of my book. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad you went into that teaching mode because as you're describing that, I have an um, impulse. I, 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 was di I didn't realize this until my son was diagnosed with it. And I, I have ADHD, which explains, <laughs> once he told me, I found out what well, that explains everything. Mm. And so I don't even know how many years it's been now. Uh, but my hardest part, because I, I can tell when I'm about to make a snap decision, is to stop mm, and yeah. not follow through that decision. And be, you know, as being a solopreneur at home, trying to run a business, I've learned, I've actually I've become better at the stop. And, well, let me think through this a little bit deeper mm -hmm. and close Amazon for a moment because <laughs> <laughs> there's a purchase there that I think would help I think that would help the business mm -hmm. that, you know what? It really wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But since I don't work in corporate America, I think back when I was, I probably needed to be a better person to stop and think through. Because hindsight, which is obviously 2020, there were some decisions and things that I made that were on the impulse, filled with biases, not taking in perspective. Oh, and uh, I've learned how to manage my ego mm -hmm. at that time i wasn't managing very well and i'm just knock on wood that nothing ever to the same degree that you had but I, yeah 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 no this this is uh this is just one example of uh, of many tools but this if you can just do that much you'll already begin to make better decisions right like you explained Right. You know, don't make that impulsive decision. And, and with that impulse, not just buying something, whether it's for the person, you know, no. personally or for the company, but even the tendency to make snap judgments about somebody else. Right. right? I mean, because we all do that. <laughs> right. It's, yep. it's, it's yep. natural to, yep. to, to see somebody's reaction on their face, their you know, facial expression, their body language, their, you know, their tone of voice. And we, if we're not careful, We'll make a snap judgment. Even if we don't vocalize it or even consciously think through it, we'll just have this gut reaction and then we'll chalk it up to, yeah, that's why I don't like being around them very much. Or, 
ooh, gosh, what a mean person. Or the list just goes on. You fill in the blanks, right? Right. And yet, when we realize that there's context, what is the context? Yes. What's going on really inside? You know, what's going on with them? Mm. In fact, if you really use this tool, mm. it, it creates more empathy because you can actually take that same snap judgment, turn it on its head by mm-hmm. thinking deeply through it. Right. And and when you apply the the, the whole context and, and, and your assumptions that right. you're making right now about that person yeah. and what other perspectives, what look at it from somebody else's viewpoint, what else is going on? You might find out, who knows? They, they might be, that look might've been simply because they just had a loss in the family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Right. They just found out that they were terminally ill. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, Taking it to the extreme, but right. we never know the full story. So. And that's that's something the National Speaker Association has, has taught me about the audience. You might perceive bad body language or something's wrong, but you don't know the context of what's going on in their life. It's not you. The ninety nine percent of the time, they're not mad at you mm-hmm. that you're doing a somebody. He's probably thinking I'm doing a terrible job. That's not it. But that's what we're feeling at the time. Yeah. That I'm, I'm up here bombing. Or what, why am I not connecting with this one person? However, you, you don't know. But when you said that uh, the other night at the uh, cocktail party, uh, went up to a colleague and I just had this bad vibe. And I, 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 I immediately went, did I do something stupid lately? Did I say something <laughs> to her? Mm-hmm. And, and, and just I, I just kind of distanced myself. I must have done something. And I saw her the next day, and oh my God, Pete Parkinson just gave me this great big hug. And I said, okay, I found, I just as you described, I had snap judgment, bias kicked in, all of that must be me. Mm-hmm. But in fact, I never, I will approach her and, and make a comment to her at some point in time. But what you just described, I just experienced just two nights ago. Yeah. 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 I was, I was speaking for the Association of Government Accountants at a national conference last fall. And you know, the audience was fully engaged. It was awesome. It was a great presentation. In fact, it was it's the one that I now have secretly behind a, a firewall that's available to clients that want to see it ahead of time. Okay. Um, but there was a person in the audience that was just what you described. And I, I, I'd glance over and see see him with this look on his face. I was like, oh, I don't even want to look over there. Because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't connect. And like you said... You never want to make that judgment. Right. And this doesn't normally happen, but he literally came up to me afterwards and thanked me, really valued the, <laughs> the information, uh, and, he, and he apologized. He said, I apologize if I didn't seem engaged, he <laughs> said, because I had these other things going on, going through my head. But he said, I was listening, and I did actually enjoy the information. So, yeah, right? How often have we done that as we go into our weekly meetings with somebody in the room? Right. Right. Oh yeah. man, they're in a bad mood. I'm yeah. gonna stay away from them. Well, what if you just reach out? How you doing? Something. How bugs, you feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Something bugging you? Right. I had a right. gentleman. I, I was at the Washington Society CPA speaking, and he pulled his chair out from the round table and just kind of set it right in front of me, and sat there with this scowl on his face. I thought he's gonna like come up and punch me. Oh, no. And at the break, I, I I went up to him. I said, "Excuse me." Um, one, it's kind of unusual for you to do this. And two, uh, have I offended you in any which way, shape, or form? He goes, oh, my God, no. And I went, then, um, <laughs> and I took a chance here. I said, well, can you tell your face that? 
Because you were, I mean, I thought that you really hated the Pope. Oh, I'm sorry. And basically, I'm so sorry. I, the reason I pulled away from everybody, because, okay, coming in, I was on my phone with my attorney in the middle of a nasty divorce case. Mm. And I didn't want my bad language, body language. And, and he just thought that would be better that he'd set himself apart. But he didn't realize and if I didn't ask, I don't think I'd have made it through the whole day. Wow, yeah. Uh, but he came up to me afterwards, after we were all said and done, and thanked me for letting him, making him realize how he was coming across. And he, he completely changed. Right yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what happens. If, we, if we're not careful, we can allow external factors, whether it's people's expressions or whether it's just the environment we're in, we can allow those external factors to change our mood or mm -hmm. to put us into a bad mood. But just keep that whole context, you know, cap in front of the forefront of your thinking yeah. and realize there's something else going on that I might not see the full context of here. And by the way, I, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend telling, you know, saying, know. saying I, what you said. I know. You can get away with it because you've got that, you're just that nice guy, yeah. right? And yeah. So you can get away with it. Yeah. A lot of people, like a lot of us can't get away with <laughs> saying it quite that bold. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know any other way. To, I, know, right? I didn't know the way to, Yeah, yeah. And it it's like a, I was talking to a, a gentleman at a conference who had read my book ahead of meeting me at the conference. And he uh, he was so excited. He was like, listen, I read your book. I'm excited. I'm, I'm learning. And he goes, my wife and I were leaving church. And she started bad-mouthing the pastor because she didn't like some of the things he said. And, and I said, honey, I think you might have some blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him. I said, well, how'd that go over for you? <laughs> he goes, not really well. <laughs> I said, yeah, there's, that's not the way to approach the blind spot story. <laughs> that's great. So um, one piece of advice as we wrap up that you would give, give my audience one piece of advice, um, whether you're a CPA, public, uh, you know, have your own firm or work for a firm, uh, work in the government sector, uh, whether you do internal audits or mm. purchasing, treasury, any, any financial area, just remember that you don't know what you don't know and challenge your own assumptions. Mm. Even if it's a mundane routine process that you are you know that like the back of your hand and you've done it over and over and the numbers seem okay mm -hmm. but just challenge just ask yourself am i making any assumptions here do i have the full context mm -hmm. is there any other perspectives that i need to bring into the equation of either the reports or the outcomes mm -hmm. whatever i'm working on um or the uh, the off the uh, instructions being given to you by a superior because i was in prison with the CFO of Cutter and Buck, oh, uh, Steve Lober, mm -hmm. and uh, Steve and I are friends mm -hmm. uh, now, and um, and he shared the story, and he was totally humbled by the stupidity of his own decisions. Mm -hmm. And the one thing he said as a CFO was that he should have pushed back when he was being asked mm -hmm. to make some what seemed to be innocuous slight of hand with the numbers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so. Uh, so he followed along, did what he did, and he ended up getting some trouble. Wow. So yeah, just challenge, push back, always challenge your assumptions and the information provided. And don't subordinate your judgment to your boss. No, yeah. and if you know what, that's another blind spot is sometimes we are so wrapped up in our lives and in the, the level of financial requirements and responsibility <laughs> of our lives right. that sometimes it's hard. The, the, the higher we up in the ladder financially, the harder it is mm -hmm. sometimes to push back and, right. and realize 
well, if I push back, I could get laid off or fired on the spot and suddenly find myself living on savings if I have any savings. Right. Right. Well, right. that's that's where you have to draw the line and right. just say, you know what, I will not make a decision that breaches integrity. Exactly. Um, even if it costs me dearly. Right. 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 So absolutely. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you for taking time. I, I love the discussion. I you, we can people if they want to find you they can find you by your website so if you can give some information yeah in fact I'm super excited Peter I I finally after a few years of trying acquired blindspots.com oh cool yeah so I'm the author of Blind Spots best selling book on Amazon in 2017 and now I have blindspots.com they can go there uh, they can click on the speaking page if they're looking to hire you know a speaker yep. and uh, and we do uh, keynotes training you know we work with uh, organizations as well as uh, um, public and private sector companies and so forth. So yeah, they can go there and find that information. They can get my book on Amazon. Um, If anybody, if any of your listeners want an autographed copy of the book, uh, we'll figure out a way to to make that happen. Okay. If anybody wants an autographed copy of the book, give me me your email address. Yeah. You can uh, reach me at info at kevinmccarthy.com. And just say that you heard uh, this uh, on uh, my podcast, Change Change Your Mindset, and he'll autograph and uh, you can purchase a copy of his book and he will autograph us and send it to you. Yeah, have him reach out. Cool. Thank you very much, Kevin. And uh, enjoy the rest of this wonderful conference we're in. Thank you, Peter. Great seeing you as well. And uh, enjoy the conference yourself. Now that you've listened to this episode, what will you do to uncover your blind spots? Will you change your mindset and bring to light your blind spots and take action on eliminating them? Personally, I hope you do because we all have blind spots and hopefully you will see them, avoid them, and stay out of serious trouble. Thank you again for listening. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Also, please visit www.c-sweetradio.com to listen to many of the excellent podcasts that they have in their network. Like what you just heard? Visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Sweet Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.